Hello, listeners. Matt here. Hey, are you Pottern Family? Go on Twitter and search the hashtag Pottern Family or follow at Pottern Family to find a bevy of great podcasts, including this one. That's hashtag Pottern Family or at Pottern Family on Twitter. Part of the Rewatching Good Television Podcast Network, it's the Sorkin Cast. Here's your host, Matthew Murdick. Hello and welcome to the Sorkin Cast. It's episode 37 of the podcast. This week we're covering season 2, episode 11, The Leadership Breakfast. And you know what that means. It's episode 11, which means next week is our feedback podcast, which means you have a scant two days to submit me any feedback regarding any of these first 11 episodes of season two. More on that in a moment, but my name, of course, is Matt Murdock, and I am from sorkincast.wordpress.com. That's your one-stop shop for all of the back episodes of the podcast. You can also find contact links and podcatcher links, and if you take the time to leave me a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcatcher you use, a review of the written kind, then I will be happy to thank you in next week's podcast, the feedback podcast, uh, especially if you submit it, of course, by this coming Tuesday. Which brings me to the feedback. We need to get your feedback in so that I can share it with our rest of our listeners by this coming Tuesday, that is the 19th of April, 2016, in regards to any of these first 11 episodes of The West Wing Season 2. Um, also, you may notice that at the website, sorkincast.wordpress.com, we've updated our What's Next page with a new poll for what should we cover after Season 2 of The West Wing. And you need to get your votes in there as well because the poll will be closed on Mother's Day, May 8th. And whatever is ahead in the poll then is what we will cover next. So participate, be active, be part of this podcast. Tell us what you want to do next and let us know how we can achieve that with you, uh, with your feedback as well. I guess that's enough about the podcast. Let's get right in to talking about this episode. It's season two, episode 11 of The West Wing, entitled The Leadership Breakfast. It was a story by Paul Redford with a teleplay by Aaron Sorkin, and it was directed by Scott Winnett. It first aired on television on July 10th of 2001 and was viewed by an estimated 17.7 million viewers. Geos.tv, that's the Global Episode Opinion Survey, ranks this episode 101st out of 158 possible episodes. And normally we do do a walk and talk segment or a quick jab segment, but uh, because... There was so much packed into this very first sequence. I think it's it's one of those opening scenes that a lot of fans really love about this series. Um, for me, it's one of the most positive things about the whole episode, to be perfectly honest. Um, but it is a fan favorite. So I thought I'd just include the whole first scene up to the beginning credits uh, as kind of a combined of our walk and talk and uh, quick jabs this week. 
So instead of getting people milling around in the halls talking about a certain issue or getting just a lot of uh, back and forths, you just get all a big ball of funny uh, between a couple of rooms in the West Wing in this opening sequence. And here is that for you. We don't need some kind of permission for this. No. What about supervision? Shouldn't there be some official supervision? Making a fire in a fireplace. What kind of supervision do you want? FEMA, the American Red Cross. What kind of wood is this? Where did you get the wood? It was sitting in the thing. I think that is meant to be decorative. It's wood. We're not burning Benjamin Harrison's log cabin. You know what? What? We might be. Why? It was made out of spruce. You're not using lighter float or anything, are you? No. No flammable liquids of any kind to start a fire, ever. Found it. What? Kerstine. Josh. So we're done. We're set. Yes. CJ. Don't give me a thing. Josh says Jankowitz has to sit closer to the center. Why? He doesn't hear well. He can't sit closer to the center. His hearing aid malfunctions. Who cares? It's a breakfast of Trump and a new spirit of bipartisan cooperation and understanding in the new year. No one's going to be listening to each other anyway. You want to stand him in a tripod, right? Yeah. Standing three sticks on end and slanting them to a common center. Isn't that a tripod? Yeah, but you just thought you'd say more words? Yeah. Josh. Hang on. You know what we need? Dried leaves. We need dried leaves. To move Jankowitz, we got to move either the House or the Senate whip. House. Why? Because life is tough in the big, cruel world, and if he doesn't like it, he can kiss me. So the spirit of bipartisanship begins. Yeah. Could you possibly get us some dried leaves? Yeah, I'll just run out to the forest and be right back. You know what? You think she's being sarcastic? Yeah, I don't think she's getting the leaves. You know what we could use? Newspaper? See, this is what I'm talking about. This is teamwork. <laughs> it really is. Larry, Ed, we're set. Either one of you? Yeah. Yes. Thank you. You see, you guys thought it was going to take a long time. It only ended up taking seven and a half hours. Somebody working on the heat? Seating arrangements set. That took some time. It was hard. Yeah, you got to find a magic marker. Toby, when people are sitting with the president, there's excruciating protocol involved. Uh-oh. What? Missed one. Who? Take a look. I'm looking. It'll happen. Okay, guys. You know what we did? We forgot the president. There it is. Does anybody smell smoke? Oh, God. <laughs> I think this might be because the wood is wet. Well, the fire ought to dry up pretty quick, shouldn't it? You'd think. What did you do? It's going pretty good now. There's smoke in the hallways. What the hell is going on? <laughs> the wood's drying up. Are you burning a dining room table? Spruce is a uh, slow-drying wood. Do you have any idea what you're talking about? No. Hang on. Are those instructions? It says that this fireplace was a favorite of President Andrew Johnson, and he would sip whiskey from a charcoal keg while reading by its light. That doesn't help. The flu's been welded shut since 1896. Well, that's probably it. What are you doing? Somebody started a fire in this fireplace, Charlie. If the smoke alarms go off, they're going to make me wake up the president. The president's a thousand yards over and two flights up. It's Secret Service procedure. Well, let's get a fire extinguisher and put it out before the smoke alarm. What, Mr. President? You know you told me not to wake you up unless the building was on fire. Yeah, like from trying to make a fire in a fireplace that's sealed off to missing the president in the seating chart to... The whole sequence, uh, again, like I said before, is probably one of the best parts of the episode for me, honestly. It's a little over-the-top slapstick, of course, but uh, to me it had a lot better humor in it than the whole Karen Cahill stuff throughout the rest of the episode. And it was good to get a laugh or two kind of 
out of the way right up here up top and get you in kind of a good mood because what happens to the White House in the rest of the episode um, is, is a little dark, at least politically speaking. So um, let's get right into talking about the episode. We'll start with our first clip where the staff discusses the leadership breakfast with the president. Leo confesses to Josh that he's made a prominent colonist, Karen Cahill, angry. CJ meets with the majority leader, chief of staff, and Stark. The Karen Cahill assignment is passed to Sam, and Toby lobbies Leo to talk about some real issues at the leadership breakfast. Who was the idiot who set off the smoke alarm last night? Well, it sounds a lot like you're talking about Sam, Mr. President. Were you inconvenienced, sir? They had me on the Truman balcony for six minutes in my underwear. Was it cold? In January? No. Why do you ask? Mr. President, I'd like to talk about those rules in that memo you're it's reading. It's a breakfast. Toby, it's a pancake breakfast. There's nothing in that memo that's important. We're having Vermont maple syrup? Mr. President, if you read item four, you'll see that time at this breakfast will be spent discussing calling the Patients' Bill of Rights the Comprehensive Access and Responsibility Act. I don't give a damn if they call it the Monroe Doctrine. What the hell are we doing serving Vermont maple syrup? On the minimum wage, if we all turn our attention to item five of the rules of bipartisan breakfast... They're guidelines. You keep calling them rules. Margaret, what does it say at the top of the memo? Rules for bipartisan breakfast. I keep meaning to fire you. Yeah. New Hampshire syrup is what we serve in this White House. Sir? It's a breakfast. We eat, we pose for pictures, you do a post-game conference, everybody gets the hell out of here and I don't have to be off so crupky. And what stupid-ass Irish thing did you say to Karen Cahill that you now need me to apologize for at Ben and Sally's like a little girl? I made a remark about her shoes. You're the second most powerful man in the country. And she writes a column for the New York Times, and who knows what kind of special relationship women have with their shoes. How could you possibly... Well, it doesn't matter. It was perfectly benign to anyone who doesn't take shoes that seriously. Just tell her I love her and that I'm sorry. And I'll take her shoe shopping. Leo, I am totally there for you. Thank you. Can I get Sam to do it? Fine. Anything else? No. The president's not going to want to end a bipartisan breakfast with the Republicans speaking from one place and the Democrats speaking... And the majority leader's not going to stand at a cardboard podium in your front yard while you stand in the White House press briefing room, and with good reason. Which is? I don't think they're on equal footing. My boss and your boss? Yes. I don't think they are either. CJ. And the majority leader's going to brief outside. If the majority leader wants to skip breakfast, there'll be more pancakes for the rest of us. My press room can write about why. Oh, you can't blame a girl for trying. You want to free up office space by kicking out the press corps? Yeah. And putting in a swimming pool? I realize that there are some flaws in my logic. Yeah. Leo needs a favor. What? He needs you to go to dinner at Ben and Sally's and apologize to Karen Cahill for making fun of her shoes. I didn't make fun of her shoes. He did. I don't have any problem with her shoes. Leo did. What was his problem with her shoes? Doesn't matter. Just do what you usually do. Here's the thing. What? I don't do well with Karen. Why? I get nervous. What happens? I become unimpressive. In what way? In many ways. You don't fall down, do you? When? With Karen. Once. You'll be fine. You think? You'll be impressive. I never have been before, but that's no reason to think I'm not going to do it. Right. You know why? Doesn't really matter. Perseverance. You get right back on the horse. I'm going to sit there, and she's going to go home saying, that Sam Seaborn's impressive. I'm going to say nice things about him. Reach for the star, Sam. I will. Good. I'm going to have breakfast with Aunt Stark tomorrow. Leave it alone. I think we should be able to discuss the Toby, minimum wage and what It's a brand new year. So let's not faff around. It's breakfast. I know. It's breakfast. We're not going to come up with solutions in 90 minutes. But we have the principals in a room with no cameras. The, the leaders of the land. <laughs> And not to talk about how we're going to approach the minimum wage, the patient's bill of rights, 
tax relief and education in the legislative session that's about to begin is a criminally negligent and cowardly refusal to do what we were all sent here to do. Toby, in this climate... This climate is exactly Toby. when real debate is what bipartisanship should look like. This woman's had this job two weeks. I don't like dealing with people who are trying to impress me. I know her a little. Have breakfast with her. So, you may recall, in the Shibboleth episode and the Galileo uh, episodes, I, I compared the differences between the characterization of Toby... And I kind of criticized the writers for making Toby really uncharacteristically reckless in Shibboleth. However, that was more for the benefit of uh, first-time watchers because there is one commonality about Toby that I pointed out in the Shibboleth episode that may be an excuse uh, here as well. Here we see Toby being very, very passionate about debate and he wants the issues talked about. That's the same thing he wanted to do in terms of the school prayer as an issue back in the Shibboleth episode. So maybe we are just now beginning to see, as the show is going on, the trait of kind of being presented itself repeatedly in that when Toby gets passionate about something, he does sometimes misstep. That I can forgive. But you do have to admit that in the last four episodes, we've seen all of these huge pendulum swings. Uh, from Toby, where, from where he is like the smartest guy in the room, to Toby is like the dunce of the room. He's he's going back and forth, not doing very well uh, in some aspects because his passion is getting in the way, as opposed to when he has a clear head, then he's seeing all of the pieces in play. Green beans, for crying out loud. Um, I have to say that the, the, the wild swings, uh, th- that's a little annoying to me. But uh, as long as we're going to establish this happening once in a while, this passion getting in the way of his intellect, so to speak, um, then I'll guess I'll chalk it up to character development from here on out. Despite the fact that I don't really like it because I like to think of Toby as the smartest guy in the room because Toby is one of my favorites. Um, But the thing is, is that Toby is really only trying to put in action the play that Leo gave him and the rest of the staff back in the Let Bartlett Be Bartlett episode. I mean, his idealism has been set on fire by that again. Uh, he kind of hem-hawed around like a, the uh, the State of the Union speech and stuff, and you could see that that idealism was there. But then when Leo said, all right, we're going to just, you know, we're going to let Bartlett be who he is, you know, Toby was inspired by that, and so he has been trying to get some of these issues out in front for the reason of debate, because he feels that that's healthy. Um, but again, his passion is getting in his way a little bit here. So he's not really in good faith executing Leo's policy. He's just kind of running with the ball, so to speak. And it just seems like that that really clouds everything because he's not noticing at all that Stark is setting up her boss's bid for a presidential candidacy um, it feels like it's almost because he trusts her too much. And he admits here that he knows her a little, but it doesn't seem like he ought to know her enough uh, to be just jumping into her arms practically um, the way that he, he wants to because he does uh, interrupt CJ's meeting 
it's not on the clip, but he does interrupt CJ's meeting and tells Stark that he, he wants to meet with her later and talk about the breakfast. And then he goes to Leo. He notices kind of too late, obviously, as opposed to preemptively uh, about Stark's play. He noticed it preemptively when Mandy came to work for the senator in the pilot of this show. But the bottom line, Toby has to figure out how to keep his passion for the issues, keeping from clouding his judgment. Um, Because if he doesn't, it's not a good thing. And actually, I'm going to have a little bit more to say about Stark's play, overall play in this episode in, in the spoiler section. I am going to have a spoiler section after the end music for those of you who have seen the whole series. Um, so we'll get on, on that uh, in just a moment. But let's talk about what we know about Ann Stark right now. Her little showdown about the locale of the press conference with CJ, that was interesting. Um, you, you probably know that Felicity Huffman is, is one of the stars of another Sorkin show as well, Sports Night, which we will cover at some point in the future. Maybe if you uh, vote to cover Sports Night in the What's Next tab uh, this time around by Mother's Day, May 8th. Uh, We'll be covering that next. But um, Felicity Huffman is one of these actors. It seems like Sorkin shows uh, bring in a lot of the same actors to do things. Um, There's another uh, instance in later seasons for this show, but that's uh, neither here nor there now. Anyway, I I love Felicity Huffman as an actress, and I I thought that the, the writing did a pretty good job cloaking what her true intentions were in this these earlier scenes um as we find out she is uh, a person who is more or less a war general for the republican party um and so uh she's backing up this guy she's setting the pieces in play um which again toby makes uh, for a very opportunistic play uh later on in this episode um because toby's judgment um if if it were a little better then there would be no reason to suspect that anybody else might be able to pull anything like this. Uh, but it is the fact that Toby's judgment is clouded here that uh, Anne Stark gets a chance to play this play that she does. Plus, I, I think a big difference in this aspect and this characterization of another Republican uh, or another person on the conservative side, this Anne Stark is very smart Plus, she's sarcastically funny, but that also kind of masks her as being fairly benign as well until you get to the result of this episode. Now, as for the Karen Cahill stuff, after it got passed to Sam, I have to say I really kind of lost interest in the whole thread. I think mainly because I've noticed that, again, sometimes, and I know I just kind of complained this about Toby in the Shibboleth episode that he was being placed in that position just to serve a purpose. Um, maybe instead they've tried to make, turn that into a character development thing for him here. But you know, Sam is really smart when Sorkin needs Sam to be really smart. And he's really kind of a, a stooge when Sorkin needs him to be a stooge. Um, and that's okay. Uh, you know, it's just, I, I don't like characters being used as function rather than his character sometimes. Um, I will grant that there is an exception made for Sam. He he does kind of swing both ways from brilliant to bumbling, more or less, all of the time. Um, and sometimes, whether it's humorous or serious stuff. 
but it seems like here they kind of took the Sam, I don't know, mold, and they applied it to everybody. They applied it to Leo. They applied it to Donna throughout the course of this episode, and it seems simply to serve as a, a for humor rather than to serve character. Um, although, you know, again, encompassing it in this one particular columnist, how can everybody in the whole White House have a problem with this one particular columnist? She must be one hell of a woman. I'd like to meet her. Uh, and that's all I got for this particular uh, part of the uh, episode, this particular clip. So let's move on to clip two. Sam tries to make office space in the West Wing, then realizes he may have screwed up with Karen Cahill. Toby meets with Ann Stark and makes a concession and the president reviews the breakfast toast that Sam wrote. What's the question? CJ thinks if we move the press out of the West Wing, the American people will object. She's crazy. So I want to show her numbers. Mike at Global Strategies. I want to tack on a question, okay? What should the question be? If the White House moved the press corps to Trenton, New Jersey, would you give a flying? Okay. Would you object to the White House moving the press room out of the West Wing and into a facility across the street? Read it back. How'd it go? It went great. Thank you. I had to talk to Karen Cahill last night. Did you fall down at all? I did not. In fact, we were talking about the stability of former Soviet republics and their fear of Islamic extremism, and I have to say that I made some very scholarly points regarding the remaining nuclear weapons in Kyrgyzstan, and I have to believe not Kazakhstan. Nuclear weapons are in Kazakhstan. Is it Kyrgyzstan? Yeah. Yeah, well, Kyrgyzstan has no nuclear weapons. No. I'm sure you got it right last night. I'm sure. Okay. Toby, small businesses will fold or produce less because they can't afford to pay a federally mandated wage. The unemployed will, in turn, face higher prices while receiving no wage. Fine, so let's talk about it at breakfast. No. Why? Because... 20 senators will call me and say, what the hell are you doing starting the ball rolling without us? No, they will call and say, what the hell are you doing rolling the ball at all? You're going to sandbag the thing in committee? You've shown us you're a whole hand? You're playing a game and not that well. I just got here. Your predecessor didn't play it well. Maybe that's why they gave me your job. <laughs> and we're not going to get screwed around on the wage hike. No? We have the votes and you know it. Well, having the votes doesn't matter that much if the leader decides there isn't going to be a vote. There is going to be a vote, straight up or down, and if there isn't, we'll offer the wage hike as an amendment on everything that moves. Say that again? You heard me the first time. Do you not remember that I am the same person who bought you a can of syrup? And... Toby, what have I done to make you think I'm scared of you? The Patient's Bill of Rights. We can talk about it? We can spend 15 minutes on dropping the litigation shield. In exchange for what? Some flowers wouldn't be out of line. In exchange for what? The spirit of bipartisanship. In exchange for what? I want the press conference at the Hill. Our guys are tired of looking like the president's stupid cousin. That's all? Yeah. You want the press conference on the Hill? Yeah. Done. C.J. Craig says no. C.J. works for me. Ladies and gentlemen, that's funny. Nah, that's funny. <laughs> She's a woman? Yes, sir. Did you mark that down? Yes, sir. 
We spend so much time demonizing the other side, treating our opponents as if they were threatening strangers with whom we share nothing in common, that we've lost sight, perhaps, of the greater truths. Did you know it's bad luck to toast with water? I didn't. Yeah, you don't want to make a toast with water. Should we go for From Greek mythology, I'm almost sure. You lose your spirit. To what? Hmm? To what do you lose your spirit? That's a good question, Charlie, and I can tell you, but I think it's better if you look it up on your own. I'll hit the library as soon as I get off work tonight at 1 a.m. We've lost sight, perhaps, of the greater truths. There's a lot more that unites Americans than divides them. That's good. There's a lot more that unites Americans than divides them. Remind me to tell Sam that's good. Yes, sir. And remind me not to toast with water. Yes, sir. Ah, let's go. As I said before, the, the Cahill stuff really isn't all that great to me, but I did like... The thing about the West Wing needing more office space, interestingly enough, because Sam wants to move the press corps across the street. So him and Josh put a question on a poll because CJ thinks it's a bad idea. And of course, the press gets wind of this later on in the episode when one of the reporters gets polled uh, themselves. One thing that should be pointed out isn't so much the funny of this, but the fact that even though CJ has been hazed a lot and been kind of made fun of for not really knowing a lot, especially by Toby. I mean, he made fun of her for not knowing anything about how the green beans would relate to politics, but she has started to become actually one of the the smartest people in the room. When you think about the fact that she suggested the broader theme in Galileo, the fact that she knows moving the press would be a bad idea that she totally objects to what Toby agrees to with Ann Stark and even figures out that they are about to get hit before everyone else later on in the episode. CJ is on it. She is absolutely on it. And I will have a little more to talk about with that in the spoiler section as well. Um, But yeah, CJ totally disagrees with what Toby's idea is here, his concession um, that he makes. And that brings me to Toby because he is getting played like a fiddle here by Ann Stark. His passion for getting some real progress has made him completely forget that he is the only one in the room who wants this breakfast meeting to be that at all. He's completely blind to Ann Stark's like subtle manipulation to not only take the visual media power away from the White House, but once he starts fighting her on the minimum wage thing, He is giving her the fuel that she needs to make the exact play that she makes. Maybe it was a little lucky for Anne that Toby threatened to attach a wage hike like that to every bill. Uh, Possibly it was lucky for her. But lucky or not, uh, she sure didn't waste it. And, And she didn't waste it just for the sake of making the entire Republican Party look better. She used it to be very opportunistic for her own guy to look like the savior and, and, and come in and smooth things out later. And that's one thing that Sorkin in the past with the Republicans or the, or the conservative right hasn't really done. He's made them opposition, but he hasn't made them calculating the same way that he makes Ann Stark completely calculating a wartime general. Um, and it's great how the level of politics gets amped up um, throughout the course of this episode and by the time we reach the end. 
And finally, the, the little bits with Charlie and Bartlett were, were just to help us believe that the intentions of just about everyone else besides Toby is just to have breakfast, right? I mean, that that's basically what gets accented here. Uh, from Sam's writing to Bartlett's, you know, kind of approval of it. Uh, it's it's just kind of further set up for the big bad that is coming uh, with the whole press conference thing. But still, um, it, again, it just kind of points the finger at Toby and it's like, Toby, your passion for all this stuff is, is going to get us into trouble, uh, especially when you look at it back on the uh, retrospective look after you've seen the episode. You can just see how completely blind Toby is and how his passion for just talking about, um, you know, a couple of issues that are going to be talked about in Congress anyway. I mean, I understand Toby's intentions. They're noble. They're good. But look at the bad that comes out of it as a result of good intentions. You know what they say about good intentions, the road to hell, right? Anyway, let's move on to clip three where Sam tries to get Donna to smooth things out with Karen Cahill. Toby tells CJ about the deal that he's made with Stark and CJ fields the question about moving the press corps, then realizes that the White House is about to get smeared. Finally, Leo has to dress Toby down over his mistake. Here's what we're going to do. I connect with people, Sam. Yes. I'm a people person. That's great. You're going to the South Street exhibit tonight? How did you know? You told me. She's going to. How do you know? She told me. So there's quite a bit of reconnaissance work that went into this. Yes. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go up to her. Hi, I'm Donna Moss. I don't know if you remember me. I'm Josh Lyman's assistant. You just had to come up to her because she knew she'd get a kick out of this. Sam Seaborn is being so cute. He was talking to you and he thinks he may have said Kyrgyzstan when he obviously meant Kazakhstan. Sam Seaborn's being so cute. It'd kill you. No. Thank you. Listen, I just had breakfast with Ann Stark. They would like to put a provision of the patient's bill up for discussion. Well, that's a little something you can all disagree on. Fifteen minutes. You can do a lot of shouting in fifteen minutes. In exchange, she wants the press conference on the Hill. Now she wants the whole thing on the Hill? Yeah, listen... I said no yesterday to the split conference. What makes her think I'm going to put the whole thing I'm on the... Because I'm asking you to. What? That's what they get in exchange. You're kidding me? Look. Toby, are you kidding me? Who cares where the... First of all, I don't even know where to start. CJ, but who... first of all, if they say anything that needs a response, I need 20 minutes with staff. I can't stand around there and huddle in front of the White House and Congressional Press Corps. There's not going to be a surprise. You've already decided what you're going to say, which is but not much of anything at all. We don't speak for the president on the steps of the Capitol. We don't need to be offered their microphone. It makes us look like less than what we are. In fact, it makes us look small. We're calling tax breaks, tax reliefs, refusing to discuss raising the salary of those living in poverty arguing the seating arrangement and you think that that's what's going to make us look small Toby. we're talking about the no litigation clause for 15 minutes i don't care if the damn press conference is outside the rotary club cj hey steve you should be up on the hill i'm gonna watch it on tv i wanted to ask you are you guys thinking about moving the press room across the street no i heard you were discussing it from who chris it's starting she seemed pretty sure you were discussing it why she got called by a pollster who asked her how she felt. She got called by a pollster? Yeah. She herself got called? It's starting. Anyway, uh... Let me get into it. She took him off the board. Was it a balance thing? No, she didn't want balance. She wanted power. Maybe... Why'd she take her boss off the board? Uh, we discussed the litigation clause, but again, I don't want to get into the specifics. Of... Yes. We're about to get hit. Minimum wage hike. 
The wage hike was not discussed. Well, are you considering a $2 increase over two years? Well, we want the same thing, but over three years. Certainly the uh, leader's position on this is very clear, but... We didn't discuss it. Greg? Colin Simon. Is it fair to say it's the majority leader who's holding this up and not the majority? Well, I don't think it's fair to say either. Uh, yeah, in the back, Simon. Congressman, I'm quoting a senior White House aide who says they have the votes. The aide said that unless they get a straight up or down vote from the leader, and this is the quote, we're going to attach it as an amendment to everything that moves. Can you say that again to me? The senior aide yeah, said... Yeah, listen, I don't want to comment on this. I think... Uh... I gave Ann Stark the quote, and she fed it to her reporter. Why'd you give her the quote? Was it a quote when I gave it What the hell was it? I was letting her know that we had the votes. She knows we have the votes. She was just promoted the chief of staff for the Senate Majority Leader. You don't think she knows we have the votes? I misunderstood my relationship with Ann Stark. Yes, she did. And now it looks like we went to the press and went for his knees. Excuse me, but Toby's not the one who gave it to the press. You think the Majority Leader's gonna believe that? No. It was a breakfast. It was a damn photo opportunity. The year is one week old. The legislative session hasn't begun, and we can't put a fork full of waffles in our mouth without coughing up the ball. You got beat. Yes? I have press in 10 minutes. Figure it out. Tell me what you're going to do. There is something a little funny about the fact that Donna has been so nonchalant about Sam's problem with Karen Cahill up to this point, considering what happens to her, I guess. But... Again, I just I just feel like it was kind of filler humor uh, to kind of counterbalance the huge problem for the White House. You know, after you have the opening that they had, um, which was over the top slapstick, how how do you come back with that? Uh, and it, the Karen Cahill stuff just really didn't work for me. I know. Shut up about the Karen, Karen Cahill stuff, right, Matt? Okay. Um, I should mention, in case you haven't watched the episode recently, that Toby had conceded to CJ that because the conference was going to be on the Hill, it should be a deputy addressing the, uh, the press and not CJ herself. And even though I cut it out, the moments where CJ was waiting on Toby to decide whether to call her, you know, deputy back to the white house, that stuff was incredibly tense. And I thought that Richard Schiff and Allison Janney both did a, just a super fantastic job with their phone conversation as uh, CJ was trying to figure out what to do next. And again, CJ might be the most undervalued person on the staff in the first season. Uh, And she still gets some hazing and has a misstep every now and then all the way through the the whole TV series. But I love where this character goes in this season and in season three, uh, which proves her worth to any would be doubters to me. And again, we can speak more about that in the spoiler section. On the other hand, while you have CJ star kind of rising in this crisis, Toby star is obviously falling. And again, good intentions. Um, he had good intentions where Leo's sister was concerned in the Shibboleth episode, but the results are just pretty much disastrous. And you have Leo who just basically wanted to get through the day, who is now faced with a whole new thing. Uh, he had warned that this was a bad idea. He said that he'd had reservations about Ann Stark. His only mistake was trusting Toby's word that Toby knew Stark, which Toby obviously did not really know Stark. And when the question came, 
from Simon, the whole tone of the episode changed immediately, and it made it significantly more interesting than it had been up to this point. Um, this part of the episode really was great. I, I love this because it was like, oh, what are they going to do now? What are they going to do now? And I guess we'll find out when we get to clip four because the staff comes up with a response for the press. Donna gets a gift from Karen Cahill. CJ confronts Josh and Sam about their poll question. And Toby visits Ann Stark to talk about what happened. We can take the high road and say we don't want it to disintegrate into a war of words. We don't want to disrupt the fragile peace. Fragile peace has been disrupted. We've been accused of ambushing the majority leader in the press. Also, labor's going to want to know we stand by the minimum wage. Why don't we pass it off to labor? Have the labor secretary make a statement. We support the $2 minimum yeah, wage. Yeah, let's emphasize how close we are. We support the $2 minimum wage hike spread over two years. The Republicans want it over three years. We're close to an agreement. Sounds like we're close to agreeing on 30 months, which we're not. No one's going to want to cover a statement from a labor secretary, which is good, because if they did, it looked like we're ducking. No, I don't think she's right. We can't be passive, and the high road doesn't go where we need it to. Be cool, be funny, smack them down hard. Majority leader is tragically out of touch with the needs of real people. And why wasn't he at the podium? A sore throat? We know how tough that can be. Thank goodness he had health insurance. There it is. That's the soundbite. And that's the new story. Toby. Do it. Carol, I need voting stats on health care. Five minutes. Josh, this was delivered by messenger. What is it? It's, wait, wait, no, damn, my x-ray vision is failing me today. How'd it go? Last night? Did you talk to her? Yes, I did, and I explained that you might have said Kyrgyzstan, when of course you meant Kazakhstan. Did you say how it was cute the way I worried about it? I did. Did it turn out I got it wrong? She said she wasn't really listening while you were talking. Oh, okay. I, on the other hand, had a most stimulating conversation with her. It was pithy, it was erudite, and most of all, it required no next-day follow-up explanation. Donna? What was in the envelope? Your underwear. What? I'm holding your underwear in my hand right now. And the way I know it's your underwear is that your name is sewn in the back, which obviously we'll spend some time talking about at a later date. How did you get my underwear? Donna, did you by any chance wear the same pair of pants two days in a row this week? No. Donna. Yes. Okay. When you got dressed on day two, did you check the pant leg for the previous day's underwear? I don't need to check the pant Donna. leg. <sighs> they fell out of my pants. It would appear that way. <sighs> Where? The South Street exhibit. Where? On the floor in front of Karen Cahill. Please tell me she's not the one. She sent a note. Did a question get tacked on to the monthly DNC tracking poll about moving the press room? Yes, it did, because I at least wanted to shoot down the argument that the public... The public gets their news from the press, and the press gets their news... It's a news private poll. The press doesn't have access to it. So they don't know what questions we're asking? Yeah. You sure? The only way they'd know what questions were being asked is if they were actually called by one of the pollsters and... Oh, my God. Yes. A reporter got called by one of the pollsters? Yes, indeed. Wow. Yes. What are the chances of that? The chances of that are astronomical. Guys, calculate it. They sample 800 respondents. The two of you stopping amazed by the mathematics? All right, I'd pass it off. Just say some poor schnook in the management office got the idea and wanted to kick it around. Sam? It's going to be me, right? Yeah. OK. You ready? Yeah. You think I'm going to sit around while you reduce the president to prime minister? Stand or sit. We're in the majority, and things are going to have to look it. And by the way, don't ever walk into my office without an appointment. You'd think this could wait until an election year. 
When is it not an election year? It's ten years ago. We used to be able to sit down. We'd order a couple of bourbons. We'd talk about health care. We'd talk about the minimum wage. <laughs> he didn't have a sore throat. No. It kept him off the board so he could come back on and fix it. Yeah. When are you going to announce? Announce what? That he's running for president. I'm pretty sure we just did. I hate to keep railing on Toby, but if he'd only had the clarity he has in the last part of this episode and at the beginning. I mean, we've seen him have that kind of foresight before, like in the pilot regarding Mandy or, or the bit about the green beans, even in Galileo. And, and here he figures out in an instant what Anne is up to. But it, it's just too little too late, Toby. And Toby's passion for his issues is his greatest weakness right now. So you ask, how is it going for the White House since their whole getting energized in let Bartlett be Bartlett? I mean, how is it really going? That actually is, is, again, one of the lovely things about the show, because while it does have its fair share of, of kind of fairy tale moments where we're going to go and we're going to kick their butts and you have a couple of moments where they actually do, um, one speech in reality never makes everything instantly successful 100% of the time. This staff makes mistakes. They lose on issues. They get duped like they did here. That's the reality of of having a position in politics you don't always win and and i love how that never gets abandoned by this show um especially during the sorkin era it just seems like there there are uh those fairy tale storybook ending kind of moments but you do get things turned around on you because that's life everybody has their fairy tale moment i guess in life but you don't always have it 100 percent of the time right there's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of failure involved in everything. And, and this show never abandons that. And this episode is, is a good demonstration of that. And again, really loved how they make the opposition much more calculating this time around than they have been before. Oh, they've opposed things. They've seen brutish. They've seen over the top in a lot of ways. Um, they've also seen very smart and very well argued but never calculating and Anne Stark is smarter than your average bear and fairly cold and again Toby gave her the opportunity not just to create a small win for her party because even even if CJ's conference press conference did manage to deflect a lot of the damage that came out of this um she got the real goal moving forward, and that was to get somebody in the forefront to run for the presidency. Uh, on top of that, Ann Stark, her, her dry sense of humor, um, and the way she even talks down to Toby in most of this episode, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, I think Felicity Huffman just did a great job. She was a perfect choice for this role. She just knocked it out of the park as this just political operative who is just fantastically smart and calculating and and um doesn't let her feelings get in the way uh even though she kind of again with a dry sense of humor jokes about how toby hurt her feelings doesn't really matter they are in the top game of the political arena and it's up to toby 
to finally figure out that that is exactly what's happening and why he's going to have to run back to his bosses and tell them that's what's happening in the next clip. But I will make one more comment about the Karen Cahill stuff here. I wonder when Josh goes through this whole underwear thing with Donna and Sam, I mean, he's got to be thinking at this point that he never should have ever delegated this stuff. Josh's whole thing with delegating is really funny because, you know, he's having fun about uh, Toby getting the stamp thing. I don't remember what episode it was, but he had made funny. He'd made fun because Toby got the stamp thing and then Toby instantly delegated it to him and he did fine with it. He did really good with it. Him and Donna did a great job with it. Uh, and I guess he just expected that it would be the same way if he delegated this off to Sam. But instead, it turns into this absolute mess, and it even ends up on the president's desk. And that's what leads us up to clip five, where the president hears from Charlie about Donna and Karen Cahill, and then refuses to see Toby. And finally, Toby and Leo have to embrace the fact that they have to start planning for the next election, either with or without the president's approval. I'm going to read a short statement in response to the rather bizarre take on what was I think the whole damn thing is bizarre. Breakfast. Mr. President, I don't know if this is the right moment. Right moment for what? Donna Moss needs a favor. While talking last night to Karen Cahill, she accidentally dropped her underwear. She feels there's a chance that Karen Cahill may have misinterpreted that, and Donna asked me to ask you if you would call Karen Cahill and make it clear she wasn't making a sexual advance. Well, I'm not sure there is a right moment to ask me that, Charlie. So I should tell her no. Yeah. Good evening, Mr. President. Donna wants me to call Karen Cahill and make it clear she wasn't hitting on her when she gave her her underwear. Yeah, that's because I made fun of her shoes and then Sam said there were nuclear weapons in Kyrgyzstan and Donna went to clear up the mix-up and accidentally left her underwear. There can't possibly be nuclear weapons in Kyrgyzstan. Mr. President, please don't wade hip deep into this story. Okay. Sir? Yeah. Toby. I'm going to bed. If anybody thinks of new ways for us to make friends, don't hesitate to wake me or, you know, just feel free to start a fire. Thank you, Mr. President. Good night. They didn't want to see me. It'll be all right in the morning. Yeah. You're the communications director. It was a TV show. It was a blunder from top to bottom. You should know that it could have been avoided at several points along the way if I'd listened to CJ. Or me. Yeah. Alexander Hamilton didn't think we should have political parties. Neither did John Adams. They thought political parties led to divisiveness. They do. They should. We have honest disagreements. Arguments are good. Only if they lead to statesmanship. Or it's just theater. And statesmanship is compromise. What about persuasion? You're coming for us, Leo. I know. <laughs> I mean, they're coming for us now. Toby, if you knew what it was like getting them to run the first time. I know. Like pushing molasses up a sandy hill. If I go and tell him it's time to run again, he's going to get crazy. And frustrated, he's going to sink into his head. And he's going to say he's not running. Yeah. So we've got to do it for him. We'll keep it away from this office. But we've got to get real now. 
Leo Ann Stark's a wartime conciliary, that's why she was bumped up. I'm a wartime conciliary too, Toby. Yeah. I was just hoping you'd be peacetime a little longer. Yeah. Son of a bitch. Shake my hand. We just formed it. Formed what? The committee to re-elect the president. And if you screw up as much as Toby did, I, I would think it would be better to let Bartlett have some space. I, I do like that Toby wanted to come and apologize for his mistake and... He was obviously willing to take the heat that would come from President Bartlett about it. I also admire that Bartlett wanted to let it go. That he didn't leave just out of spite for Toby. Uh, I think he left because he might have fired him if he hadn't. Uh, He just wanted to make sure that he, he didn't say anything that he would regret later, obviously. And as for Toby, he wasn't just coming to apologize, but he was also coming with the bad news that it's time to start running again. And as for Toby and Leo, now they're having to face a whole new reality. I mean, just running a White House, it's got to be daunting enough. Uh, Keeping a White House, that's a whole other thing. And I guess you could say that kind of the moral of the story came from Leo this time in regards to the politics but in the end, they, they, just, they have to get moving, and he knows it. You have to wonder if, if Toby had not been so blind about this episode, if, if they would even be having to form this pact at all right now. Because I don't think Ann Stark could have made quite the bold move that she did right off the bat if it hadn't been for the fact that Toby fed her the quote to give to Simon, right? And... With Leo talking with Toby about how hard it was to make Bartlett run the first time, you know that that has to do with the MS. Now, looking back on it in retrospect, um, now that we know that Bartlett had MS, Bartlett had no intention of even winning uh, the nomination. As he told in Leo in season one, he just planned to make a few speeches and get out of the race. And that was because of the MS. So what will it mean this time for you first-time watchers Uh, to try and get Bartlett to run again. Will it mean anything? And we can talk more about that in the spoiler section as well. And I guess that's all I have to say uh, for this particular episode. Let's get to my rating. So Geos.TV ranked this 101st out of 158 possible. So that's what, you know bottom not quite the bottom third um definitely in the bottom half i i don't think that i would rate it quite that low on the whole series just because of the first scene which i absolutely loved and because of the the kind of the dark realization of this republican party that is not just uh, uh people standing on a book and shouting they they're actually formidable especially like Ann Stark is especially formidable. Uh, And I I loved Felicity Huffman in this episode. She's one of my favorite actresses. So that's going to be a plus for me. Um, Absolutely love CJ in this because she's so right 
and Richard Schiff did such a great job portraying a failing Toby. Um, Alice and Jenny and, and Richard Schiff were just fantastic in this episode. Um, still, you know, a lot of the side humor and a lot of the filler stuff just wasn't all that great for me, as you probably heard me mention how I didn't really like the Karen Cahill storyline one or seven too many times. Um, it, what it all balances out to me is, is about a straight eight. The The side stuff did fall extremely flat for me, but the main storyline, once it got going, was absolutely fantastic. So there you go, eight, which is not a bad rating. And if you want to know what that means on my Sorkin scale, uh, go to sorkincast.wordpress.com and uh, you can find uh, my special 10-point grading scale there, how I come to the numbers that I do. That's it for this particular podcast. Remember, time has run out practically for you to submit any feedback on the first 11 episodes. You still have two days. If you're getting this episode when it first drops on, what would that be, April 17th, then you have two days to submit feedback to me. Please do so by April 19th, 2016 on any of the first 11 episodes and you will be included in the feedback podcast, which will come back next week. And then the week after that, we'll get right back into this series again. No movie breaks this time around. We're just going to go straight back into season two of West Wing. But I need your comments and everything in the next couple of days if you want to be included in the feedback podcast. If you can't get it in by then, then, you know, I'll hold it until we get to the uh, the feedback episode after the season finale of season two. So, uh, you know, it's not really that much of a rush. It's just you won't hear it for a few months. That's the problem. Um, how do you send feedback? You've probably been asking the whole episode because it kind of dangled that in front of you at the beginning and I never told you how. Well, you can send a email to sorkincast at gmail.com or you can tweet at sorkincast on Twitter or we have a listener line where you can leave a voicemail and hear your own voice on this podcast by calling 314-669-1840. Again, you can find all of that information at sorkincast.wordpress.com, your one-stop shop for everything this podcast, including the back episodes. Thank you so much for listening. I will have spoiler stuff after the end music. So unless you have uh, seen, I will say, all the way through season six, then that part of the podcast probably isn't for you. But if you have, stick around. We'll talk about some stuff in the future and how it relates to this episode. This is Matt. Thanks again for listening. Take care. Find all of the back episodes, links, and more information at sorkincast.wordpress.com. Leave the podcast a written review at our iTunes or Stitcher store pages. To submit feedback, send emails to sorkincast at gmail.com or call 314-669-1840. The Sorkin cast is a member of the Rewatching Good TV network. The end music is over and you are still here. That means that you have seen West Wing through season six, or you don't mind being spoiled about anything. In which case, either way, uh, 
you are welcome to stick around. If you don't want to be spoiled, then it's probably time for you to turn the podcast off. That's been your last warning. Uh, Anne Stark and her plot to set up her boss to run for president, as we got at the end of this particular episode. The thing is, is that we never really see that play out. Now, honestly, I, I can't remember at this point in our watch whether it was addressed anymore between now and, and season three when we get introduced to the, the Republican front runner, Richie. Um, he becomes a Republican candidate, and that's who Bartlett runs against. Um, maybe there is a mention as to why we don't see this majority leader uh, figure in later. But one thing that you can say for sure is that whatever great move this is for Anne right now, evidently it doesn't work out for her boss in the long run. As for CJ, I said in the cast that you can start to see how capable she really is as we go through some of these episodes at the beginning of season two, and not just with the press, but also with political strategy. I mean, remember also that it is her in season three who comes up with the idea to have Congress investigate the MS thing rather than let it get to any other kind of further legal implications and that ends up saving the situation because in the end, all the president really has to do is accept the censure. It, it's really her ability to kind of slap this problem down in the press in this episode uh, to even see it coming, to know that the White House press corps moving would be the worst idea ever, to see the, the best way to deal with the MS problem in a future season. These are the kinds of things that eventually lead her to get the confidence um, not just in herself, but the confidence from Leo and the confidence from the president to eventually become chief of staff after Leo has his heart attack. So that, uh, you know, all, all of this kind of building, slow burn building for CJ and all, everything that she goes through um, is amazing in this particular uh, sequence of, of, of seasons from, from two through four. Uh, and eventually riding up to her being a very capable chief of staff by the time that she gets to that position. So uh, I love that you see those buds uh, happening, growing early on in the series. Because the whole first season, um, and, and, and like I said, there are missteps along the way for her. But uh, for the most part, um, CJ becomes more and more capable seeming even though I feel like she was capable the whole time, uh, she starts to exercise her capabilities as the seasons go on. And I love that uh, part of her character development. And then I guess the whole Bartlett MS thing and, and Leo and Toby's uh, committee to reelect the president. Remember that we find out in a later episode that the president had promised Abby that he would only do one term. And already Leo's talking about how hard it was to get Bartlett to run the first time. Now you see these guys realizing that Bartlett has to run. And that's partially why I think it was also a good thing that Bartlett didn't see Toby uh, in, in this position that he's in with Toby right now. If Toby had come with that information directly to Bartlett about running again, I think that Bartlett would have totally backed down and then we wouldn't have a series after season two. <laughs> you know, when they ask Bartlett at the end of season two, if he's going to run or not. And he puts his hands in the pocket, right? Um, like I said, in the main part of the cast, Toby's idealism and his passion sometimes really blinds him terribly. 
Uh, and we're starting to see that established in this season as well. Um, and that leads to his firing later on when he totally crossed the line about the military shuttle. And I wouldn't have been surprised um, if we wouldn't have seen that same enraged Bartlett if he hadn't walked away in this episode and not wanted to see Toby. He needed to blow off that steam. Otherwise, I have a feeling Toby would have had his stuff out the door. Um, especially and when you consider the news um, that he was going to have to bring about having to run again. And also look at the MS thing from Toby's point of view. You know, that we know that's the reason why Leo uh, has so much trouble and even this promise that Bartlett made to his wife, to Abby. But um, from Toby's point of view, uh, can you understand how he gets, why he is so enraged when he finds out about the MS? Because um, not only is the fact that Bartlett has held this information from the public or even just the staff, but by the time he figures out what's going on, this this is the point where he's already started quietly running the race on Bartlett's behalf. So him finding out about the whole MS thing is really a double slap in the face for Toby. It's not just about Bartlett's, you know, lack of ethics at that point. It's also about the fact that Toby from this point on is starting to work very hard on getting Bartlett, uh, you know, in a position to succeed and to win another election. So, all this extra time that he's been putting in, then he figures out about the whole Bartlett MS thing. And it's just a double slap in the face for him. So uh, lots of good drama coming up uh, and, and conflicts between uh, Bartlett and Toby uh, coming in the future. And I guess that's all I have to say in terms of the spoiler section. Uh, thanks again for listening again uh, at Sorkincast on Twitter or Sorkincast at gmail.com. Uh, or 314-669-1840. You only got a couple days. I want to hear from you. And I hope to share your thoughts with our listeners uh, next week. Take care.